give to the number two WBAI.org online. Now stay tuned for Driving Forces coming up. and policy here on WBAI New York. It's an opportunity for you to tell us here at BAI what's on your mind. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here on the air with my co-host, Jeff Simmons. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing fine, Celeste. Well, I'm happy to be here with you and happy Christmas Eve. And I hope for our listeners that my sound quality is better because both you and Linda have advised me on the appropriate things uh, that I really need to be able to do this remotely. So each week I try a little better for you. You sound good to me, Jeff. Happy to be here with you. So, uh, And thanks, everybody, for joining us here on Driving Forces. We really do, as Reggie, our engineer, said a little bit earlier, we do appreciate your support all year round, but especially during this uh, unusual and, frankly, very tough holiday season. There's a lot of people we'd love to be with this Christmas, but, of course, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, things are very different this year for New Yorkers and really for all Americans. So we're glad to be getting through that with you here and throughout this year. So today we're going to be talking about something that's really been on everybody's mind lately, Christmas or otherwise, for quite a long time. Uh, that would be that New York has gotten its first shipments of COVID-19 vaccine and the inoculation program has already begun. We're going to take a little bit of a different tack on that, though. You know, as always, there are some real questions about how fairly a big public program like this can be administrated. And, you know, we want to know, are the most vulnerable among us going to get the medical care they deserve? And how is that going to happen? So we're going to be taking this up with two really great guests this hour. We're going to talk to Dennis Slattery of the New York Daily News and Hazel Dukes, president of the NAACP New York State Conference. And I really have to say the timing of this is just so crucial. A piece just popped up on the New York Times website this afternoon that was just incredibly disturbing. How hospital workers are starting to turn against each other to get the vaccine. Uh, the story basically talks about the New York, New York Presbyterian Morgan Stanley Children's Hospital, where a rumor went around basically that the floor was unguarded so anyone could just get online and uh, the uh, hospital has now said that they will correct this lapse and that they're disappointed and saddened that this happened. But this just speaks to the urgency that many people feel uh, about getting this. There was another piece I'm sure we're going to get to at some point uh, that was in the New York Post. I know your favorite newspaper uh, <laughs> post recently about how when this becomes more available to the general public, it will become an issue of rich versus poor. You know, that's that's something that we really did want to focus on. We've talked a lot about the pandemic. We've talked a lot about how it's been handled, how it's affected people. Uh, I did a series that uh, you and I have talked about a little bit um, called New York in Crisis, WBAI's Coronavirus Diary. And I think we're going to be revisiting some of that uh, in future programs. But we did talk to people about, you know, what's been the, the personal impact, the economic impact, the educational impact, you know, a lot of those things. But uh, also looking now, 
now at how this uh, how this disease, how this virus has affected different communities uh, sort of disproportionately? And will that be the same case uh, with the uh, with the treatment, with the vaccine? Uh, what are we going to see uh, going ahead? That's going to be a, a big question. That's something that we're going to be talking about in this hour. And a little later in the show, after the guests that Celeste talked about, we're going to take your phone calls. Uh, do you think that New York, state and city, are going to do a good job of vaccinating fairly? Uh, what worries do you have about the COVID vaccination program or the vaccine itself? I'm sure our listeners are very uh, opinionated about this. So after we finish with our second guest, uh, which will be around, uh, what, about uh, 40 minutes into the show, we'll start taking your calls. And the number, please write this down. The number to call is 212-209-2877. Once again, that's 212-209-2877. Celeste Katz-Marston and myself would like to know what you think about the vaccination program, what you feel about the the phases of who gets vaccinated and when. I mean, just yesterday, members of the FDNY uh, here in New York City uh, began receiving the vaccine. Nursing home residents uh, started to receive it earlier. And this was after uh, the beginning stage when many of the essential healthcare workers received the vaccine. Celeste? So absolutely. So our first guest today to talk about some of these issues is Dennis Slattery of the New York Daily News, which is uh, incidentally the alma mater of both Jeff's and mine. Uh, Dennis is the Albany Bureau Chief for the News, covering state politics, legislative policy and issues that impact readers across the five boroughs and beyond. He joined the news in 2011, and he's covered breaking news, crime, and politics for the paper. And he took over the news's state political coverage in early 2019. So, Dennis Slattery, welcome to Driving Forces. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Great, great. So glad you could join us, uh, especially on Christmas Eve here. So I thought we'd open up by just asking, you know, what has it been like covering politics and COVID uh, at the Capitol this year? Well, I, I think it's been a difficult year for everyone. Um, you know, life's just kind of been upended across the board, and it was no different up here in Albany. Um, we had a really strange year where the legislature went remote. Um, you know, the legislature, which is under Democratic control for the second year running now, moved early on in the pandemic to uh, to do remote sessions. They kind of held a number of special sessions throughout the summer, going past their usual deadline in early June. Uh, they passed a bunch of COVID-related measures and other bills kind of relating to voting and ballot access throughout the summer. Um, but as far as covering it, it's just been very strange. Usually you can kind of corner lawmakers in the Capitol and, you know, talk to folks face-to-face. This year it's been a lot of, you know, working on the phone. And if somebody doesn't want to talk about a certain issue, they just don't pick up the phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely remember that that feeling sometimes during my uh, my couple of years covering the Capitol for the the news as well. So, um, so Dennis, one of the things that we wanted to ask you about is, uh, you know, specifically about your coverage of the COVID crisis and about how the government is handling that and now covering the vaccine. So maybe just tell us a little bit about what you've heard lately about uh, the distribution process for uh, COVID nineteen vaccines. Sure. So this is something where the last couple of weeks, um, Governor Cuomo has taken a lot of steps to, as he has said, to kind of put people's minds at ease regarding the vaccination process. He 
He created a task force that reviewed the federal approval. Uh, he's repeatedly voiced his own concerns about the Trump administration's efforts to kind of kick the review process into high gear and get immunizations out to the public. That being said, the state's taking a regional approach um, as far as the widespread distribution when we get to that point. Um, the Overall, the New York distribution model does echo the federal recommendations. You've got high-risk um, health care and hospital workers kind of taking the front front end of the doses, um, ICU staff, emergency room staff, and as you had mentioned, nursing home residents and staff are kind of getting first crack at a lot of the doses that are being released. The state is working with the feds to get doses out to, I think, more than 600 elder care facilities. That's kind of happening as we speak. This this week, that started on Monday. Phase two, which would kind of be the, the more widespread, high-risk general public and uh, those with underlying health conditions is slated to go into effect in late January. So we're not, you know, we're still kind of a, a ways away from the general public seeing widespread vaccination. So, uh, Dennis, the uh, governor recently, earlier this week, I believe, announced the Vaccine Equity Task Force. We'll be talking with Hazel Dukes about that later on in the show. How much attention do you think New York has been paying to fairness issues in getting the vaccine out to the public? This is something that, that Governor Cuomo's talked a lot about the last couple of weeks. Um, he's been highly critical of the White House's distribution plan, which relies heavily on large-chain pharmacies. Cuomo's flat-out called the plan discriminatory, and he's questioned whether it's going to work for minority and poor communities where you know access to such sites could be limited. Um, Black and Latino communities saw some of the highest you know, numbers and infection rates and, and deaths during the early months of the, the outbreak in the spring. Several polls have shown that there is widespread skepticism surrounding the vaccine in those communities. And th- there is a basis to that. You know, there, there's no denying that there are racial and ethnic disparities when it comes to healthcare at large, maternal morbidity and mortality rates such as that. But we're also talking about these communities that have already, they're already contending with poverty, pre-existing health conditions and people working frontline jobs. Um, so the Cuomo administration has created this vaccine equity task force. They're kind of looking at distributing the vaccine fairly, but it's also just convincing people who may be wary of immunizations or trusting the government and getting them to accept this and that, you know, this is something that needs to be done. He's kind of talked about a grassroots approach. Um, The task force is kind of looking at local nonprofits, churches, community centers, public housing sites, just working with people that are in the community to kind of get the message out and to get people immunized. Um, Part of that too is the undocumented immigrant population in New York, which is, you know, under the Trump administration, a lot of people are fearful of sharing information and kind of interacting with authorities. And that's another part of this, that it's going to be, it's going to be a, a big lift, I think, to, to get people to buy in on this. And we'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks. Um, Secretary of State Rosanna Rosado, Attorney General Tish James, and there are several others who are on this task force that are going to be working on a plan to get people to buy in. 
You're listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons, and we're speaking to Dennis Slattery. He's Albany Bureau Chief for the New York Daily News about the fair distribution of COVID-19 vaccine and some of the things that complicate that. So uh, staying on what you were just talking about for a minute there, Dennis, you know, obviously the um, New York State's and New York City's relationship with the federal government is a major part of uh, how well and how quickly and how thoroughly this is all going to get done. Um, obviously, New York has not had maybe the most sterling relationship with Washington uh, during the Trump administration. Do you really think that is going to change a lot as soon as uh, Joe Biden takes over the Oval Office? Or is this like the cruise ship that takes a while to sort of turn around? <laughs> Um, I, yeah, I think it's, it's fair to say that there's still a bit of a, a rocky relationship between uh, Governor Cuomo and President Trump. Um, Governor continues to criticize, I think, the federal response overall. Uh, most recently, he's he's called on federal officials to do more uh, in regards to a new mutation or new strain of COVID that was discovered over in the UK. Um, I, I think with Cuomo and and Biden, they're both Dems. They have a really good relationship. I think the governor is very optimistic that a Biden White House will be more responsive to New Yorkers' needs. Um, kind of a bigger picture, one of the biggest questions that New York's contending with right now, and it's pandemic-related, is whether or not the state will get additional federal aid. Um, New York's facing a, a huge budget gap at the moment. Uh, they're going to need federal help to avoid cuts, to avoid raising taxes and, and several other issues that are they're related to the pandemic. Um, the vaccine distribution is a big part of that going forward, but there are also other issues where I think at least Governor Cuomo is very optimistic that working with, with Biden will be very, very different than working with President Trump. And Dennis, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, you've also reported this week uh, as far as what has been happening up in Albany that the governor had uh, pandemic related, of course, had made an announcement about extending the eviction moratorium, which might, I believe, bring the legislature back uh, next week. Can you just talk a little about those developments for our listeners? Sure. So this is something where uh, Governor Cuomo has said that he's going to extend um, some of the executive orders that he's issued related to evictions. Uh, essentially, the the Safe Harbor Act is, is a bill that was passed early on this year that it prevents evictions to a certain degree. It's kind of been expanded and tweaked throughout the year. Um, a lot of housing and tenant advocates are calling for a blanket eviction moratorium. They want to see people kind of have this ability to not have to worry about evictions with everything that's going on. The legislature uh, sources have basically said they're going to be back in on Monday. They're going to be looking at a bill that will expand upon the executive orders and kind of solidify some of this into law. Uh, one part of it could go as far as extending a ban on evictions through July 1st, which would kind of give some people, you know, a sense of relief for the next couple of months. Uh, also kind of mixed up in all of this is the, there's a federal ban on evictions that is also going to be expiring at the end of the year. So New York is kind of looking at the legislature to step in and, and do some work this week before that happens. 
You're listening to WBAI New York, Celeste Katz-Marston and Jeff Simmons talking to Dennis Slattery of the New York Daily News about uh, the coronavirus and uh, the vaccine distribution. So um, we talked a little bit earlier about the relationship between New York and Washington. I'd like to just jump over slightly to talk about the relationship between New York and Albany. And um, just wondering, you know, what are you seeing lately in terms of cooperation between Governor Cuomo, Mayor de Blasio, I mean, even early, very early, uh, relatively in this pandemic, we saw them sort of not always seeing eye to eye on even basic stuff like closing the schools, closing playgrounds, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, can we, how confident can we be that they're going to be able to work together to handle this really massive production of getting millions of people inoculated against COVID-19? Like, can they handle it? <laughs> That's such a great question. It's, I, I think we've seen this play out publicly over the past year. The, the two of them have a tendency to kind of talk past one another publicly. Um, when you talk to anyone within the administration, there's always a sense of like, yes, we're working together, you know, despite the, the tensions that, that we all kind of see. Um, with, with the vaccination distribution, the two of them appear to be on the same page. Um, Mayor de Blasio has put out his own uh, task, not task force, but he's kind of put out his own plan dealing with equity as well. The city has launched a tracker that kind of records how many doses the city's received and have been allotted, how many people have been vaccinated. Uh, and with the regional approach on the state, I think the city kind of has the ability to step up a little bit um, and make sure that people are getting vaccinated. But it's, again, this is something that's going to play out. You know, we've seen the two of them uh, butt heads, if you will, in the past. And, you know, hopefully with something like this, the uh, the greater good will prevail. And, Dennis, we've got just about a minute or two left. And as we get ready to close, I'm just curious what other issues you'll be looking into regarding co- the legislative uh, legislature and COVID distribution or any of the other measures they might be taking up next week. Curious what else is on the horizon we should know about. Uh, in, in addition to the, um, the eviction moratorium and and the legislature coming back next week. The other really big issue is going to be revenue. Like I said before, the state's facing a huge budget crisis, and a lot of members of the legislature have expressed interest in raising revenue through increasing taxes on the wealthy. That's something that Governor Cuomo has kind of pushed back on. He wants to wait for federal help. So that's going to be a really big issue going forward as the, the budget solidifies going into next year. And of course, Dennis, if people want to know more about you and follow you and your stories, where should they go? Sure. They can visit uh, nydailynews.com. They can subscribe for full access to the site, or they can follow me on Twitter at SlatteryNYDN. Dennis Slattery from the New York Daily News. Thank you so much for joining Celeste Katz-Marston and myself here on WBAI today. My pleasure. Thank you both. So you've been listening to WBAI 99.5 FM. This is Driving Forces with Jeff Simmons and my wonderful co-host, who's back full-time with me on this, Celeste Katz-Marston. Very happy to have her back here. Also, if you've decided you don't want to turn on the radio, but you'd rather watch, you know, listen to this on one of your devices, well, we stream at WBAI.org. That's going to bring us to our next guest, uh, who's on the line with us right now, Hazel Dukes, president of the NAACP New York State Conference. She's also a member 
of the NAACP, National Board of Directors, and head of the Hazel and Dukes and Associates consultant firm, which specializes in public policy, health, and diversity. Most recently, Governor Cuomo named her to the task force we've been talking about with that he put together to help ensure that COVID-19 vaccine is distributed fairly to minority, low-income, and hard-to-reach communities across the state. Hazel Dukes, welcome to Driving Forces. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to have you. So a lot of reporting has focused on bringing up the unfortunate fact that people of color have suffered disproportionately in New York and elsewhere during the COVID-19 pandemic. What have you seen and heard in the community and how worried should people be about these issues of fairness? Well, uh, I have been very involved in it uh, when we first began testing uh, as you know, there were uh, places uh, at hospitals and you had to make uh, appointments for them. Uh, I worked with uh, former borough president, C. Virginia Fields, and my state senator, Brian Benjamin, with the governor and with the mayor of the city of New York to bring testing into our communities, uh, into our religious institutions, uh, where uh, with Northwell, uh uh, health consultants that uh, put it in our community where people could walk uh, to be tested. And so, yes, it is true that the history of what has happened to uh, African-Americans, Latinos, and poor uh, and people in the poor community, uh, access to health care is a human and civil rights issue that uh, is a disgrace for a, well, a nation that's wealthy where everyone cannot receive quality health care. So and that's something that's sort of related to something I wanted to ask you about. And thank you so much for joining us here on WBAI, especially on Christmas Eve. Really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to talk to us and our listeners. Um, you know, this there has so been there, <laughs> um, so there, there's been some some skepticism. Are not here. Uh, yeah. Oh, sorry about that. I think we had a little, a little crossed wire. Um, but there's, there's been some skepticism that I wanted to ask you about. Um, even some WBAI listeners, but people in different communities around the country, including people of color, some people just aren't sure they want to take a COVID-19 vaccine. They're afraid. They think that um, they basically can't trust the government to uh, to no. give them uh, medication that, that will be safe for them. So, you know, what what, uh, what should we be talking about when we talk about concerns about the safety of the vaccine, especially in communities of color? Well, it's true. Uh, the suspicion is there. There's no doubt about it because it's history. Uh, not only the Tuskegee uh, syphilis test, but uh, for African-American women uh, receiving hysterectomies without being told or not receiving anesthesia. But I think we've come a long way uh, with, uh, with uh, getting vaccines, not only for COVID-19, but other vaccines that we have. I think what happened here is that we had the leader of the free world, President Trump, uh, giving people misinformation. And so we have to clear that up now. We have to get people to understand that this vaccine was not done in three days or three months. They've been working, Pfizer has been working on this uh, vaccine for 
some, not just this vaccine, but other vaccines for over 30 years. And so uh, we got to uh, get people to understand this was not done overnight, that it is scientifically based. And so that's why I'm glad to work with the governor and in New York City to get uh, the correct information out to our communities. Uh, it was, it's so much misinformation that was given to the uh, community that I can understand why our uh, community is upset and, and not willing to take it. But I think what we're going to do uh, in our community, as I said, we had tested and done at our uh, religious institutions, which is now closed, but we did. We had Abyssinia Baptist Church. We had Convent Baptist Church. Uh, we had um, Mother Zion. And so if we can get the vaccine given at some of these uh, institutions that we have in our community, that will help us also. And I'm so glad that you had said that because I'd seen that even Mayor de Blasio this past weekend had made a passionate plea uh, to New Yorkers, but when he visited two churches this past weekend, yes. why do you think, why do you think churches are the right venues or among the right venues to go to reach communities of color right now? Well, uh, the African American and Latino community and poor communities believe in uh, their uh, religious leaders. Uh, you saw uh, Cardinal Dolan up, up in the uh, Bronx on Tuesday talking to that community. Uh, and so we believe in our uh, religious leaders, more so than in uh, politicians <laughs> in some instance. And so that's why it's important. On the task force, uh, uh, Governor Cuomo have uh, two prominent, well, all of them are prominent, but uh, Reverend uh, Butts, who's the pastor of Abyssinia Baptist Church here in Harlem, uh, uh, church is over 200 years old. Uh, we have uh, Reverend Richardson up in Mount Vernon at Grace Baptist Church. He's on the, um, and well known, he's uh, head of a Baptist uh, consortium of many ministers across the nation. And so this is going to be very helpful that when we begin uh, uh, the toolkits and the message out, our people will listen. Not everyone. Uh, we are no different than other communities. But for the most part, uh, we will have uh, people being convinced. On Monday night, I belong to Community Board 10. On Monday night, we had a forum with um, uh, Columbia University with their med school, uh, giving facts. The more facts and the more factual information we give out to our people, the better it's going to be. And do you feel like uh, it matters, you know, sometimes in, in politics, for example, we see a lot of times that people say uh, that, you know, it's easier to accept a message when the messenger looks like you. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. So is that, do you think that's going to be a big part of what you're working on? Well, and, absolutely. you know, whether it's uh, being out in the community or being part of Governor Cuomo's new task force, like, is that is that important? Talk to us a little bit about that. Absolutely. Uh when I speak uh, as the president of the NAACP, who has been, the NAACP is 111 years old, been fighting for equality and justice, and, and have been talking about 
the disparity in quality health care. And what COVID-19 did just peel the onion back and people began to see it. Why is it that more African-Americans and Latino and poor people died than anyone else? It was because they are not able to access quality health care. Most people go to work from nine to five. Uh, some people work three jobs. And so the emergency uh, room is the only time that they get to see uh, a, a physician. They're not uh, like I am. I have a private primary physician that I see on a regular basis. I have on my calendar what time I'm to get my um, a mammogram. But a poor woman who's working to just keep uh, food on her table and pay rent, uh, that's that's secondary to her, uh, to a man to get the prostate uh, cancer screening. And so the more we uh, educate, the more we talk to our community about facts, uh, we do have a lot of pre-existing uh, 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 problems because we are in food desert. We don't have the fresh fruit here. When you walk into a grocery store, instead of seeing water, you see the giant uh, 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 Coca-Cola and Pepsi-Cola. And so all of these problems is for us as a community to address, which I did, if you might recall, when uh, uh, former Mayor Blumberg wanted to uh, talk about uh, getting rid of sodas in the school, he said yes. But then mm-hmm. we came to the smaller places. We said, what about the giant supermarkets? Why are you going at the little bodega? Why not go to after the big food chains that we have that stock up uh, 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 sodas in the front of their, uh When you walk in, that's the first thing you see instead of seeing water. So it's it's interesting that you bring up the uh, the mayoralty and sort of the role of government in uh, you know in addressing some of these issues. I'm curious to know. And by the way, if you're just joining us, this is WBAI's Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz Marston here with Jeff Simmons. We're speaking to Hazel Dukes. She is the president of the NAACP's New York State Conference. And I wanted to ask you. Um, how do you think the government in New York has done so far? I think a lot of New Yorkers have issues with Washington, and that, that could be a whole show in, in and of itself. But, you know, how do you feel, frankly, that Governor well, Cuomo and Mayor de Blasio have done in handling this pandemic and how they will do in handling the vaccine program? Well, uh, Governor Cuomo and uh, the mayor every day gave uh, New Yorkers uh, facts uh, while uh, in Washington, D.C., we had the man giving us fake news. You know, we were going to be back in church in, in April, if you remember. And then we weren't going to do that, and he said it was around the corner. And, and now he's disappeared altogether. All he's thinking about is he is the president, which everything has shown him he's not. So uh, I think our uh, leaders uh, in both parties, in, uh, at the state level and at the city level, has done very well about our community. As I said, we did get testing into our communities where people could walk uh, to, didn't have to stand in line. Some places you did still have to make appointments, but others you didn't. And so uh, I would say uh, on a grade from 1 to uh, 10, I would give them 8 and 9. 
So earlier you mentioned uh, food deserts. What's been on my mind uh, is that while I might be fortunate to be in an area where there are a number of pharmacies where eventually I will be able to go, whether it's a CVS or a Walgreens or something for the shot when it becomes more publicly available, there are areas across our country as well as in our state that might have these, uh, I'll call them pharmacy deserts. And I'm wondering if that's Absolutely. something the task force will look into as well. Absolutely. When you get upstate, uh, I have the privilege of knowing this state. Uh, when you go into a place like Ellenville, uh, Rome, New York, it's not like metropolitan New York City, where we have a CVS and a Walgreens uh, uh, nearly on every corner. Uh, up in those areas, yes, it is a desert uh, for pharmacies as it is for food around here. So they will make arrangements to use other institutions that is medical uh, uh uh, sensibly to where you have to keep the uh, uh, vaccine. You know, Pfizer, uh, there's a certain amount of temperature. Uh, uh, Medine is another kind of, uh, so they have to work all of that out. That's why I think we have, uh, for the general public, I would think we will be able to get the thousand people a day somewhere like March, April and May, we we will see an increase in flux of how many people per day can be uh, can receive the vaccine. Hazel Dukes is the president of the NAACP New York State Conference. And I wanted to ask you, we have just a, a couple of minutes left here in our time, but I wanted to ask you basically, basically to speak directly to our listeners. Uh, frankly, we've had programs that have touched on coronavirus and the vaccine program in the past, and we have had people call in saying they don't want to take it. They think maybe the vaccine is being tested on people. They're not sure if it's safe. Um, you know, can you just sort of speak directly to people as somebody who's who's Absolutely. been watching this pandemic and just, you know, maybe explain to people in your words why they should get the vaccine? Well, first of all, let me say I do know personally several African-Americans that was in trial for Pfizer and for Medina. So knowing that uh, also, we have uh, African-American doctors, the African-American Doctors Association. Uh, we have downstate here right in Brooklyn. Uh, Dr. Riley has been on, in conversations with uh, Reverend Sharpton, uh, Jennifer Jones, Austin, and myself. Uh, two weeks ago, we had a, 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 a uh, absolutely frank conversation with him, uh, who's African-American, has been in this field a long time. Uh, I'm going to take it, uh, and I encourage all of us with the death rate. I believe the vaccine will not kill us as the rate that we've seen with COVID-19. So for all listeners, yes, it's a personal decision for you and your family. But I would say with the scientific base that I have been in conversations with medical and scientists, uh, not just people who live here in New York, we was with a woman out of uh, uh, Colleen Payne uh, out of Oklahoma who uh, owns several uh, 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 pharmacies and been a part of this. So, yes, there's African-Americans who do not see this as of what of some of the misinformation has been given out. So I would beg of all of us, 
Yeah, we want to get out of the house. We've been in for 10 months. Yeah, we want to go back to some normalcies. Let's take the vaccine. Let's take it. I believe, I believe from everything that I've heard from our community, African-American communities, from Latinos, and from Caucasians, that this, the test that they have done was not done in three months, was not done in three weeks. It has been tested. Perfect. And Hazel Dukes, president of the NAACP New York State Conference, where can people learn more about you and your work on the vaccine and on everything? They can go to our website. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us here on Driving Forces here on WBAI and have very, very happy and healthy holidays. You are listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with my co-host Jeff Simmons. And this is one of our favorite parts of the program. We are going to be taking your calls. We want to hear from you. We want to talk to you about coronavirus, about the vaccine. What do you think of the vaccination program? What do you think of how the government is handling all this? And uh, will, will the distribution program be fair? So please give us a call. It's 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. What do you think? You'll be getting vaccinated? Uh, have you gotten the shot already? Do you know somebody who has? Do you know uh, somebody in your family that you wish could be uh, further up uh, online for that? And uh, Let us know what you thought of today's guests. We heard from Dennis Slattery of the New York Daily News and Hazel Dukes of the NAACP New York State Conference. So 212-209 is the number to call, 212-209-2877. We're going to listen to a little music here for the holiday while uh, our engineer, Reggie, uh, is going to get us set with your calls, 212-209-2877. And we'll be right back.
And welcome back to Driving Forces on WBAI 99.5 FM. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, and my lovely co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston, is with us today. We are taking your calls at 212-209-2877, and today we're talking about COVID vaccinations and fairness. We're going to go to our first caller. Welcome to WBAI. You are on the air. What's your name and where are you from? Hey, I'm just going to keep that anonymous, but hi, how's everybody? Welcome to WBAI. It's okay to be anonymous. What's on your mind? Thanks. Um, so I tutored microbiology in college, paid gig, and that's all the background that I have, though, pretty much, you know, some other health stuff, um, you know, in the field and, you know, whatever, year of nursing school, but... Um, I don't think that I'm interested in being a guinea pig for these vaccines. And um, from what I'm, from what I understand, there's a pretty good treatment of um, hydroxychloroquine and zinc and azithromycin combination that's working pretty good. And I think like some people getting intubated or something when they didn't receiving too much oxygen or something. I heard. I don't know, but um, I wish that people didn't didn't. That's sick at all, and I wish that they um, didn't have to, you know, like wait so long to get testing in the beginning, and then and then wind up intubated. Because I understand that's, you know, not not a good outcome if you get intubated. If you have to get intubated, and um, I think something like 15 days, you're less likely. 15 days of being intubated, you're less likely to make it through. But there's this New York Times article. I'm I'm going by the hospitalization rates as to kind of how, how careful to be as to whether or not I go, like, indoors or just hang out outside more. Um, you know, um, the New York Times article had something to do with the uh, PCR test being kind of inaccurate, and they were kind of, like, uh, equating it to finding yeah. a hair in a um, finding a hair in a room. But what I'm really happy about is that um, when there were all the marches in the summer, that mm. there was no surge. So it seems like people being outside and wearing masks is kind of okay if they're like mostly socially distant. And so anyway, um, the, as far oh, as thank you, for your, thank you for your call. Really, really do appreciate that. So uh, interesting. I'm not, I'm not exactly surprised. We have had people call into the program saying that they're concerned about taking the vaccine. And the next person who uh, calls in and tells me that if maybe they will, maybe they won't. Two one two two oh nine. 2877 My question is going to be, are you not concerned about contracting coronavirus? Do you believe the vaccine will not prevent you from getting the virus? So I think we have more people on hold right now. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where you're from? Hi, it's Russell up in Westchester. Hey, Russell, what's on your mind tonight? Uh, well, I was glad to hear Hazel Dukes thinks that the vaccine won't kill as many of us as COVID-19. That seems like an interesting fact. And I'd like to ask you folks, if did you know in the 1917 pan- influenza pandemic, the best medical practice at the time was IV aspirin, and it ended up bleeding out of many, many people. Many, many people died. And would you consider that misinformation? Let me add one more thing. John Maynard Keene said that the hardest thing is not always coming up with new ideas, but getting rid of old ideas that don't work. Eight okay. months of masks and lockdowns, and we're told this goes on. Now, my question is, the contagion in congregate housing, prisons, and old-age homes is very acute, although 75% of transmission is in 
households, homes, probably health care providers. That's why they're getting the vaccine first, because they're the super spreaders. But 2% is in restaurants, and we're closing them down, affecting women and people of color. Now, what I want to ask you about the prisoners, since under the 13th Amendment, they're legal slaves, do you think that they should be forced to have a vaccine because they're all stuck in there together? Or is it something like, well, they don't have to get the vaccine. They can go into solitary confinement because I consider that government extortion. Just like we're being told, hey, you don't have to get the vaccine, but you can't go to school. You can't work. Okay. You can't travel. That's, a, that, that's, an interesting, that's an interesting question. And okay, I'm certainly so- glad you called in. Thanks, Russell, for your call here to WBAI. I, I don't know, Jeff, what do you think? I mean, that's that's an I'm not sure I have the answer to that. Should there be mandatory vaccination in prison? I don't have the answer to that, but something that Russell said in the very beginning, which was interesting yeah. because I was not familiar with it. I called it up very quickly back mm-hmm. in 2009. The Times, I think he quoted the Times, uh, the 1917-18 uh, pandemic. Uh, it does say that uh, a number, there are a small number of deaths may have been caused not by the virus, but by a drug used to treat it, which was aspirin. I wasn't even familiar with that. One thing I do want to note as far as reaction, then we'll get to our next caller, which is that um, according to the city, if I, I'm correct, only one of the 30,000 people who had so far received the vaccine here in the city had a severe adverse reaction to the shot. That was a healthcare worker who had suffered uh, anaphylaxis after getting the injection uh, and the worker was uh, in stable condition. And as of yesterday, uh, it was close to 90,000 people in all of New York City alone had mm-hmm. received the first dose of the vaccine. We're going to go to the next call because uh, we know that the phone lines are lit up. Welcome to WBAI. You are on the air. What's your name and what's on your mind today? Hello? Yes, you're on the air. Yes, I'm calling from Westchester County. And um, I am calling to say that I would definitely, under no circumstances, take this vaccine. Um, I have very concerned because I have been vaccine injured in the past, and I know of other people who have also. And so I think uh, this this vaccine has not been licensed. Um, it, yeah, it's been through some trials or whatever they're doing, but it's still not even the normal product protocol. And even when they go through the normal protocol to approve vaccines, People still have adverse reactions, and you cannot sue a vaccine uh, manufacturer if you are vaccine injured. And so I think that the testing that they have done is insufficient because they have not tested all kinds of circumstances, all kinds of people, people with comorbidities, people on various types of medication, medication interactions, and so forth and so on. So based on all of that, I would agree with the first caller that called, um, you know, uh, that protocol. Uh, it would be one I would be more interested in, but I think people should really focus on building their immune system. I think that's the, 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 the way to go, is to work with your immune system, take vitamin D, zinc, zinc, you know, a lot of um, vitamin C, and whatever else, um, you know, people think that will be helpful. But um, the, this also, this vaccine is not to keep people from getting the vaccine. It's supposed to be getting, uh, 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 helping people to not have as severe as symptoms. So some people are getting it thinking that they get it. They won't 
have the vaccine, uh, they won't get the, um, the virus. But, you know, once you have that virus, live virus shot up into your system, it's in your system and you have no idea how it's going to react. Well, thank you for your call. We appreciate it. And I, I you know, again, I'm not, a, first of all, I'm not a, you know, molecular biologist or a, uh, you know, a, an infectious disease expert, but I don't think that the the vaccine is intended to just lessen the uh, the the symptoms of the disease. I think it is supposed to be uh, preventative. There are therapeutics that are used to treat people who are already suffering from the virus. We certainly have heard a lot about different versions of those. We know uh, even the president has taken some of the more experimental versions of that drug. But um, you know, interested here, um, I'm surprised we have not heard from one person so far who has said that they are willing to take the vaccine. Um, right now, we're looking at 326,000 people in this country uh, who have died uh, of COVID or COVID-related illness, uh, 18 and a half million cases, uh, approaching 79 million cases of COVID worldwide. Uh, you know, would is there anything that would make you trust this vaccine to take it? 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. We're here on Driving Forces taking your calls about COVID vaccine. Uh, WBAI, you are on the air. What's your name and where you're from? Menelik, um, from uh, Manhattan. Welcome um, to the program. Yes, uh, I'm kind of kind of confused because on most television stations they have a disclaimer on certain um, chemicals or certain um, serums that they come out with, and they say that you can take this and it will stop certain ailments that people have, and they put the disclosure that if you take it, you have this symptom and you have this and certain other things that could help or that hurt you if you take this virus. So that disclaimer on most of these companies that come out with these different serums for different ailments, seems like that's a dis- the disclosures usually if you take it and you have a loss, you have any, any kind of reaction to the to that they give you that they let you know beforehand that if you take it it's at your own risk so now we don't have that kind of situation with this uh virus this 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 uh antidote for the virus vaccine if you take it you take it at your own risk if any repercussions happen you cannot mm-hmm. sue um visor or whatever other company that's that has come up with a chemical to counteract it. And I'm, yeah. I'm kind of no, wondering no. whether or not, you know, most of these stations on television show you a disclaimer. Let, right. Letting you know that if you take a certain drug that you have certain side effects and this could harm you in the long run or whatever. Absolutely. And thank you for your call. We really do appreciate it. We have, uh, I think, one more caller holding. We're going to try to squeeze in real quick. We just have a minute or two left. So, uh, BAI, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you from? Sorry, i got to keep it brief. Um, uh, is that me? Hello? That's you. Hi. Okay. I want to say hi. I want to say that um, I've never been, quote, anti-vax, but I, I have been suspicious of vaccines. And I've been led to believe, like many other people, that they can be disease-causing. But after having done some research, they are, in fact, not disease-causing, number one. 
Number two, um, the vaccine, it, first of all, viruses are not lies. Bacteria are lies. Viruses are not, they don't qualify as a living thing. Uh, what they do is they don't reproduce because they need a living cell to reproduce. Um, so, of course, we're the host for that. But um, they replicate instead of reproduce. And what the, what the vaccine is doing is it's basically um, imitating what the virus will do so that when we are confronted with the actual virus, our body is ready. It has all the information genetically and what have you. In fact, mm -hmm. speaking of genetics, this is an RNA vaccine. It is mm -hmm. a new type of, it's a novel vaccine. It, this yeah. is a, has, made, has made history. And because it's an RNA versus a DNA vaccine, it took a lot less time for the clinical studies to come through um, to verify that it was safe. And right. because it's taken less less time and it is, has proven to be up in, well, around basically 95% effective, they were able to do this emergency authentication of the vaccine Exactly. And, and I'm sorry that we have to, I have to, uh, jump off, but I appreciate what you're saying. And yeah, this is absolutely, this is a new, uh, new kind of vaccine, uh, certainly a Moderna vaccine that uses, uh, messenger RNA. Um, but, um, thank you, caller. And, uh, we have just a moment here to wrap it up. So we are, uh, at the end of today's program. Thank you so much for joining us for all your calls. Absolutely. Uh, thanks to our special guests, Dennis Slattery of the New York Daily News and Hazel Dukes of the NAACP New York State conference. Thanks to our engineer, Reggie, and thank you for supporting WBAI and Driving Forces. Check out the WBAI Buddy program at WBAI.org. Just click Ways to Donate. Find out how you can support free speech radio. And if you missed any part of the show today or you just want to listen again, it will be up shortly on WBAI in the archive section. You can also look for Driving Forces on SoundCloud. Check us out on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. My co-host is Jeff Simmons. Have a great holiday. We'll be back next week. Stay safe. Stay tuned for more great program here on WBAI. men down jenkins oh man but take it easy the chuckers ain't gonna run away if you could play the game i wouldn't mind it but you can't play <laughs> uh, your move uh, i'll start here i just don't want adele to catch us playing checkers that's part of a scene from ceremonies in dark old men it's a play that you can hear on friday night from 7 to 9 p.m friday december 25th that's in place of imhotep gary bird's radio gbe this week because he's taking a well-deserved holiday break so tune in for ceremonies in dark old men it's a play by academy award nominee lonnie elder the third it gives us a portrait of a harlem family that dreams of a better life. I got a man coming here tomorrow to change the locks on the door. So for the little time you have left, you have to come by me to enter this house. Well, who gives you the right to do that? Me, Adele Eloise.
Parker, black, over 21, and the only working person in this house. Ceremonies in Dark Old Men was first produced by the Negro Ensemble Company in 1969. It opened the door for a new generation of black American playwrights, including August Wilson and Lynn Nottage. That's Friday night. December 25th from 7 to 9 p.m. here on listener-sponsored, locally-controlled, non-commercial, WBAI, New York. We live in complicated times. Sometimes it seems like important voices get left out, and sometimes it's hard to know who to trust. But one thing's for sure. For more than 60 years, WBAI has been your go-to for independent, non-commercial, free speech programming. Join the WBAI family as a BAI buddy in the name of your favorite show today and support radio you can trust. It's easy. Just go to WBAI.org or call 516-620-3602. That's 516-620-3602. When you become a WBAI buddy, you show your support for great programs on politics, news, the arts, music, and culture. You show your support for real free speech radio. Go to WBAI.org or call 516-620-3602 now. Don't wait. You know these times are too important. Please give as generously as you can. It's simple to make a recurring monthly donation, and it only takes a minute. Just go to WBAI.org and click Ways to Donate. Unlike living in New York, it is that easy. WBAI has spoken up for New Yorkers for more than 60 years. Now, it's time to speak up for WBAI. Go to WBAI.org to support radio you can trust. Give to WBAI today. Be heard. This is WBAI New York, 99.5 FM and WBAI.org online. The previous program was Driving Forces with Celeste Katz-Martson and Jeff Simmons. Heard Thursdays at 5 p.m. here on WBAI. Stay tuned for the WBAI Evening News coming up in the next mere seconds as we speak. And even though this